This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Offerman and Jacob Reck with you here. We're depressed. I mean, we're just depressed. That is such a deflating loss, especially, Jacob, when everybody was riding high. Oh, they stole run from the Buffalo Bills. People were saying, oh, you know what? I had them at 9-8. and eight. Now I got them at 10-7 and seven because they were able to grab that win. Maybe even 11-6. and six. They were able to grab that win that no one was thinking that they were going to grab. Well, they gave it right back to the house mm-hmm. by doubling down and getting a loss to the Vegas Raiders this past Sunday at Heinz Field. In an earlier episode we did of the Steelers Standard, we talked a lot about this game, but we're going to dive even more into it, kind of more from a Steelers perspective of things. And the one thing that is really still scratching your head is their lack of commitment to this running game. Uh, the, the, the credo, the, the demand from on high, Art Rooney II saying in the offseason that the Steelers need to run the football more. This is a running football team. This is what the identity of the Pittsburgh Steelers are. And they just have not seen that at least in two games so far this year. And the Raiders are a team that, at least last year, you can run the ball on. I mean, when you had three wide receivers or more on the field, you could still average 5.4 yards per carry against Vegas last season. And in week one, I know they were playing the most prolific rushing team you've seen in the past five years in NFL history probably. They broke the record for most rushing yards as a team in one of those seasons, the Baltimore Ravens. They put up 189 yards on the Raiders' defense last week on the ground. Again, it's a different story. It's a prolific run-first offense in Baltimore. But still, you can be able to do that against this team. And it just seems like after a couple of tries where the line doesn't get much of a push and Najee, to his credit, gets two, three yards out of nothing or makes a guy miss in the backfield before finally getting taken down for a loss of one yard, you know, they just go back to their old habits of shotgun and short passing game, and we'll use the passing game as a run. You know, these short passes to Deontay are as good as runs because Ben's going to complete them 100% of the time. And I agree, we'll complete them almost 100% of the time, but it's not the same as running the football. You don't establish that dominance up front as you do when you run the football, and you don't really just break that will of a defense. No- nothing really can can destroy the confidence of a defense like just getting their butt kicked in the running game. and. 10 carries for Najee in this one for 38 yards, a 3.8 average. Shows averages up from last week. But he only had 16 carries in the game against Buffalo. So that's a total of 26 carries in two games. And, Jacob, we've been saying all preseason, training camp, we want to see close to 26 carries a game for Najee mm-hmm. Harris, not over two games. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had said in the preseason at one point when he was getting the ball saying – I think in the first quarter alone, he got like four carries, and that was it. And we were saying, in no world will you see Najee Harris get that few carries in, in, that, in that span, whether it's a quarter or extrapolated over a game, you won't see that number be that low. And in both games, back-to-back to open the season, one win and one loss, so you feel better about the one win. You're not as concerned, but the fact that this week now we're coming off the heels of a loss when – in this game, he had even fewer carries in week one. He had, what, 13 carries week yes. one, 10 carries? Or 16 week. carries week one, 10 carries this right. week. I mean, six fewer carries. I understand that you were down, but you were also down in that Buffalo game, too. I, I just don't understand. And especially when Najee Harris is ripping that, t- his first touchdown came as a reception. But that should show you that he's capable 
of moving the ball, I think early on, like the first quarter, it was like a nine-yard run or something. But the stiff arm he put on Jonathan Abram met was on everyone's highlight reel. Everyone <laughs> was on Twitter rewatching that play, saying, "This is Najee Harris." He's going to win angry runs this week from oh, Kyle, yeah, Kyle for, Brandt for on Good Morning GMF, Football. Uh, yeah, he, GMFB. Absolutely. He, he's going to win good angry runs. That was nope. disgusting what he did to Abram. Impressive, and that's why you drafted him. He can do so much for you in both the passing and the rushing game. But you're only giving the ball 10 times on the ground. That is not going to be an effective way to get him involved. That's not going to be an effective way to say that teams are going to be out there saying, I don't know if we really need to strategize for Najee Harris because he's not getting the ball. And if you're not able to generate anything in the rushing game, then you got to get him the ball in the passing game. And they did throw the ball to him for five targets that he converted all into catches. He had 45 yards, or 43 yards, excuse me, and he had that touchdown. But kind of what you're saying is on that run play where he stiff-armed Abram into the bench and then on that passing play where he scored the touchdown, you saw how much of a freak he is. Like, you were able to see him in the open field. This dude is a legitimate running back, a legitimate weapon in this mm-hmm. league. Uh, running back first, but can be used in in both aspects of the offense. Jonathan Abram's been around for three, four years now playing safety for that same Raiders team, and he made him look like a ragdoll, and he's a rookie out of Alabama, so he's ready to be an impact player in this league, but you have to question the Steelers and their utilization of him because only touching the ball 15 times total, five catches, 10 carries for a guy who in two of those plays we saw just how game-changing he can be that's going to leave every fan wanting more, and it should leave the coaching staff wanting more. If I was Canada and Tomlin and we're in our meetings today mm-hmm. watching film, I would say we have got to figure out a way to get Najee the ball more. And if we can't run the ball because our line stinks, then we have to find creative ways to get him the ball in space that aren't the traditional you know, line up under center and hand the ball off and let him run four yards up the middle. We have to do a service to our best skill player on offense, and I think I'm ready to put him at that point right now. And we need to feed number 22. He needs to become the focal point of this team's offense because uh, if not, then we're really not going to go anywhere this year. And your point about the Steelers were down in this game, so you know you kind of get away from the run when you're losing. Well, A, they weren't down by that much for the majority of this game. Not in any, in, not like Niners over Lions last week where it was 41-10. to 10 and no, the, the Lions literally lead, had to choose the pass every time. The biggest lead or the biggest deficit they faced was nine points. Nine points. And I look at the Seahawks and the Titans game yesterday, and the Seahawks were up on the Titans for the majority of that game, but what did they do to get back into it? It wasn't Ryan Tannehill. They continued to run the ball with Derrick Henry because they know Derrick Henry – is their best weapon on offense. He had almost 180 yards. Right, and what did he do? He ripped off that 60-yard touchdown run. He scored three touchdowns while they were on the comeback trail. So if you have a good enough running back, and if your running back is the focal point of your offense, even if you are down in an NFL game, you should still try to run that football. And the Steelers have pulled the plug now, it seems, two weeks in a row on this running attack. And in week one, they were winning at the end of that game, and they chose to pass to ice the football game, and it worked. Roethlisberger completed the pass, but still, they're choosing to pass to ice the game instead of run the ball, and now in this game when they were losing, they chose to pass their way back into it instead of try to lean on that running game Mm. somewhat to try to bring some semblance of balance to the offense while they were trying to come back. So it's very concerning so far in these two two two-game sample size that are we back to old habits? We mentioned on the episode we did 
uh, earlier today, our first episode that you can hear at Steelers.com, you know, that fourth and one deciding the punt, that's the same old habits. We're nervous about getting one yard. Was it the same old habits about we're not going to commit to the run, we're going to be a pass-happy team for the majority of this season? We had said in one of our later episodes in the week prior leading up to this game, which would you rather see? Najee Harris's snap count go up or or sorry, his his carries in this game go up or his snap cat snap cat go down. And we had said, you know, it has to be a combination. You you can't kill him at this young of an age putting him out there for 100% of the snaps, but you need to get him more involved. Well, one of those things happened. And it was the one that I was less happy to see. He didn't get 100% of the snap counts. Benny Snell was out there for yes. a couple of plays. But that is no excuse to say, okay, well, we're not working you as much, so we don't need to give you the ball as much. I don't understand how those need to be directly correlated. Keep him out of the game because you're giving him the ball so much to give him a little rest. You're not even giving him the ball. So I, 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 I have the problem with it last week in week one. But with back-to-back weeks of 16 or fewer carries to start his career, why not? I mean, it's, it just keep him out there because the defense has to be guessing that at least Najee Harris has a more likely chance to get the ball than Benny Snell does. And what's the deal with these lack of jet sweeps or lack of motions from Claypool and Juju mm-hmm. and Deontay to at least give the defense an extra look? I mean— it was like the only time we really saw it was on the Juju touchdown. And run. that was such a Canada offensive mm-hmm. play. They were in shotgun. They were spread out wide. Ben goes under center, and four to five people come in motion and change the package into a jumbo package, and then they hit Juju on the sweep. I mean, where is that in the middle of the field? Where is that kind of stuff You know, throughout the game? Yeah, traditionally we can't get the ball going with Najee up the middle. You know, all of our tra- We're not getting pushed on the offensive line. Well, Canada, that's when you're supposed to shine and you're supposed to get the ball into Deontay's hand on an end around and get him out into space. That's when you're supposed to throw bubble screens out to Najee Harris, to Deontay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when you're supposed to throw a little tight end screens to Pat Fryermuth. The reason why this team made the switch from Fichtner to you is because Fichtner wasn't willing to really, you know, buck that traditional NFL offense when it warranted it. And I think yesterday it warranted bucking the traditional attack. And, of course, you've seen more motion with Canada, and it hasn't been as much as we'd want, but you have seen Ben go under center a couple more times than in recent years. But still, it's just it seems like there's some lack of creativity going on with, with an offense that is really sputtering, and that's when you need your OC to really dial into the creativity is when you can't get anything going okay now's the time to throw a little trickeration out there and i'm not saying a halfback pass although maybe throw a halfback pass i don't know like you just need something to add a spark and it just seems like they're just going with that same old short passing route offense traditional shotgun sidecar handoff runs it it just seems to me that they're getting stuck into these old habits and i don't want to worry too much with just a small sample size but how could you not after that 11-0 season fell apart last year and you're kind of seeing the same signs early this year? Yeah, I mean, we we thought that the two biggest additions for this team, for this offense, would be Matt Canada replacing Randy Feigner and a capable running back being an option for Ben and Najee Harris. And neither of those things have really taken have, – have shown much of a presence. It's not necessarily Najee's fault. He's not the one calling plays, so I can't blame him. 
But I, I do think it's, 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 it's okay to put some blame onto Matt Canada because we all thought that Randy Fickner was being very idle in his play calling. Just the same repetitive, no threat to it whatsoever. And we thought Canada was a perfect solution because early on in 2020 when the Steelers were 11-0, were even before they got to 11-0 because we know they slowed down in those last couple of games between the Ravens and the Dallas Cowboys, but early on in the season against Denver, against the Philadelphia Eagles, you saw that team put up 30 points, 31 points, 34 points in back-to-back games. That's the offense that Matt Canada is capable of leading. And that was an offense without Najee Harris. That was an offense, I think, even without James Conner, because James Conner went down week one. That was with only guys like Jalen Samuels and, and Benny Snell. That was without Kevin Dotson in the starting lineup. That was without Trey Turner uh, who was acquired via free agency. I think we know the offensive line isn't performing as well as we thought it could. However, this offensive line is is better than it was last year, which isn't saying much, but it's still better. Uh, how, is that offensive, how is that offense able to put up 30, 34 points in a given week, led by the same guy a year later with, with better options available to him? He's now put up what? Uh, Week one, 23 was, and 17. Well, well remember, 17 well, yeah, offensive seven, points. 16 and 17 and 17. 17, 17 and 17. Yeah, good point. About That's the all you punt. get. Just two touchdowns. Looking at the receiving core, Deontay had a great game. Uh, nine catches, 105 yards, 12 targets for Deontay, converting t- uh, converting tw- nine of those targets into <laughs> catches. Excuse me. I have no problems with Deontay Johnson. Played like a number one receiver. Awesome stuff. I do have problems with Chase Claypool, though. Yeah, he had three catches for 70 yards. He had nine targets, though, and he only converts three of those into catches. And there were a couple that, you know, whatever. I'll there give was, him benefit of the doubt. There was one in the end zone. It was it was kind of a contested ball, but he got the hands on it That's first. what I'm saying. He's that combat catcher kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He's that number one receiver, throw it up, and I can make a play one-on-one against a defensive back. And each time against the, the Raiders on Sunday when that opportunity arose— he got the ball taken from him by the defender. And I'm not saying that he has to convert all of those one-on-one jump balls, but you got to do it more than he did in the game on Sunday. So despite having three catches for 70 yards and an average of 23.3 yards per catch, obviously a lot of that coming on that 52-yard bomb that Ben threw where he fell and then got back up and was able to run uh, for about 10 more yards before the Raiders finally got him down. You know, other than that, you know, a lot to be desired from Chase Claypool in this game. I I actually label him as a, a pretty poor performance in this one on Sunday just because of those jump balls that I think he could have had at least one or two of them, and that could have really changed the complexion of the game, especially that one in the end zone. Absolutely. The one in the end zone, I'm, I'm trying to remember when it came, but he also had another touch – or not a, it wasn't a touchdown, but another contested ball that was nearly intercepted by Casey Hayward. But that was just because of a good play. That was a really by, good play by Hayward. It was a good play by Casey Hayward to kind of come out from nowhere. But still, if you're Chase Claypool, you're big enough. You you should have good enough hands where it doesn't matter if Casey Hayward's coming within three yards of you. Casey Hayward was about 10 yards away. He just sprinted over. You should be able to make that grab. I don't, I don't care how good of a player Casey Hayward is. You're good enough to make the play over him. And yeah, what was it? You said three, only three catches on nine targets. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be the wide receiver one that people think you're capable 
of becoming, then you have to convert more than just a third of the targets thrown your way. Yeah, no doubt. And again, becoming the wide receiver one at back-to-back weeks, it seems like for number seven, his number one wide receiver is Deontay Johnson. Mm -hmm. He loves to throw the ball to number 18. Juju, six catches, 41 yards on seven targets, 6.8 average per reception. Slot receiver work. I mean, that's just what Juju does. He's a slot receiver. Uh, he had a couple of big plays. Obviously, the end around for the touchdown was big. He had a big first down uh, catch and run. But, you know, that's just the kind of game that he's going to have. And we really shouldn't expect too, too much more out of him. And I think that's a solid performance from Juju. Again, I'm not going to bash the guy for uh, 6.8 yards average when I think that's exactly what the Steelers need from him. That's exactly the niche that he fits into. Uh, unfortunately, you question whether or not he sees himself fitting into that niche, and maybe that holds him back slightly. But again, I, I don't think he played a bad game. I mean, he caught almost every ball that Ben threw to him, had a big first down, like a couple big first downs, like I said, and he scored the touchdown. So not really going to bash him too much, but just saying, you know, when you see 6 for 41 and people are going to say, oh, what a terrible game, I, I think it's just exactly what Juju is. It absolutely is, and I have no problem with his usage, especially when – you get him the ball when you get him involved. It doesn't even involve a catch. It's a touchdown run. But that's something that any player should be happy with. If you're getting the ball in the in the red zone, that means the team has the confidence in you to score. I, I don't know what Juju's opinions are of this team at the moment. He's been a little bit quiet compared to normal. How about he scores the touchdown yesterday? And his celebration is to hand it to, I mm-hmm. think, Trey Turner or Kendrick Green, mm-hmm. either one, to spike it. And then he just jogs off the field. I turned to Brian, uh, our the PD of the Steelers Radio Network, and I was like, who had Juju not celebrating his first touchdown of the year, having someone else spike the ball? So he has been a little quieter this year. Yeah, the TikToks are still happening, but he's been more of a focused player, I'd say, other than the milk so crate too. thing. <laughs> But other than the that, the thing, it came in the off season, right? And I mean, but I'm not gonna, in I'm not season, gonna, like slam him for that. You it's haven't not, heard much noise. You haven't, and I kind of like it. Yeah, I do too. And maybe that. Can, I mean, I know Ben loves to give Deontay the ball, and Deontay's showing every time he's targeted, almost every time he's targeted, why he's deserving of a number one spot. But it seems if it's if Chase Claypool really can't convert, and I, I hate to be tough on Claypool because he had the catch of the game last week. But I think he deserves the criticism in this one. I do. Absolutely. You cannot go three for nine, especially when one of those six incompletions came in the end zone, a ball you could have caught that would have helped your team. At that point, it would have been 7-3 to three in, in Pittsburgh's favor. And let's not forget, later that drive, the Steelers went for it on a fourth down try, got stuffed. So that is a huge turning point in that game. I want to call it maybe the biggest because it came in the second quarter and the, and the deficit was only 3 nothing in, in, in favor of Vegas. But still, you, you, you try for the end zone. You don't get it. You go for it on fourth down. You don't get it. The very next drive for the Vegas Raiders, they get an additional three points. So that is, what, a 10-point swing in Vegas' favor? You cannot let that happen. Before we get to the defense and the injuries there to wrap up this episode, it is clear to me that I think that there has been a swap between 1A and 1B mm-hmm. at the tight end position. Pat Fryermuth is the guy now. It did not take him long to pass Eric Ebron. Uh, there was a lot of times you just didn't see Ebron on the field against uh, the Raiders on Sunday. Uh, Fryermuth had four catches for 36 yards. He was only targeted four times, so he has a 100% conversion rate there. Ebron had two targets, zero catches, zero yards. 
and like I said, there were times when he would be taken off the field, but Fryermuth would stay out there. So that really didn't take long. We saw the writing on the wall kind of when they drafted Fryermuth, and then we saw that writing become a lot more clear as the preseason worked its way through, and Fryermuth was making an impact, especially in that Lions game in the red zone. And a lot of people speculated it wouldn't be long before he supplanted Ebron for that true tight end one spot. And I, I think it's even sooner than a lot of people speculated having it happen by week two against the Raiders. Yeah, I don't know if I expected it this early, but Pat Fryermuth is just proving that he's deserving of it. He had a I think it's yard. a bit of both. I think it's a bit of Fryermuth is proving it, and I want to give him credit. But I think Ebron, just he's maybe fallen off a little bit, and he wasn't you know as sure-handed as they come before anyway. Right, and, and, and both aspects of the tight end game, and, and, the, and the pass blocking or uh, run blocking and yes, the receiving. Yes, I mean, he— we know his his weakness is his blocking ability, but when you're a one-trick pony, you have to make sure your one-trick is as sure as anything. And you can't even do that, then there's no reason that the Steelers should ever hesitate to go with Pat Fryermuth. Pat Fryermuth had two really good plays. He had a 14-yard reception to continue a drive, and he had a fourth down or a four-yard reception on a third down play that, that extended that drive as well. You cannot say that if he's doing that for you with sure hands and being able to pass block and run block that he shouldn't be it's no longer 1a 1b it is tight end one tight end two pat fryer with one eric ebron two well as we attempt to lick our wounds and turn the page the big thing we have to look at is the injuries now to the defensive side of the ball tyson alu getting hurt early in the game and being ruled out for the rest of the season that's a big blow for the pittsburgh steelers especially with steph to its return being so questionable right now uh, TJ Watt going down in the game with something with his groin. You hope it's precautionary. Jacob, uh, you mentioned on our earlier episode today that you can check out at Steelers.com, by the way, that you know you didn't see the play where TJ got hurt. You didn't see him limp mm-hmm. off the field. You didn't see him call for the trainer to help him. You just kind of saw him standing you know, with his hands in his collar without a helmet on, obviously the training staff taking the helmet away from him. And then after halftime, you see him in the sweats. So part of me is saying, you know, maybe this is something where he came to the sidelines and was like, "Hey, you know what? I'm feeling a little something out down there. Like when, when I mm-hmm. kind of when I kind of move my leg this way, like it kind of it kind of stings a little bit." And I felt it on the past couple pass rushes, and maybe the training staff said, "Hey, you're a eighty million dollar man. We're gonna sit you down because we don't want you to tweak this groin and have you miss twelve weeks of action when you could just miss the second half to the Raiders game." So a little hopeful there. We still don't know. The full extent to TJ's injury. If he misses this week against the Bengals, I think you can get by. But any significant amount of time missed by TJ Watt is a death sentence for this team. And I don't want to, you know, downplay Tyson Alualu either. Him being out for the year is huge because you just don't know when two it's going to be back. So two yeah, big now down two defensive linemen on your two big big blows during the game, and then of course the injuries before the game to Bush and Hayden didn't help either. But with Alu-Alu and, and Watt. I mean, with Watt, you know who you're going to get to replace him. You got Highsmith and you got Ingram. Now the depth is going to be tested. Jameer Jones is going to have to play some more defensive snaps if Watt's out, and you don't like to see that. But with Alu-Alu, that's the one that really worries me. Again, you don't have Tuit. If Tuit can come back and, and be healthy, Hayward and Tuit are perfectly fine. You can get away without having Alu-Alu. But now you have Chris Wormley and Cam Hayward probably sliding in, or Carlos Davis if he can get healthy again this week after missing the Raiders game. One of those two guys and Cam Hayward are your two dogs up front, and that really does worry me a bit. Absolutely. I mean, I, we are going to be holding our breath until Stefan Tuick can come back, 
because to be we've always said we think this defensive line is the best in football between the starters and Cam, Steph, and Tyson. Now without one of them, Stephon Tua, we were saying, look how a week ago we were saying, look how good this defense was. Look how overall we weren't complaining about anyone on defense last week against the Bills. And we were saying to ourselves, look how good it is. And Stefan Tuitt's not even playing. Now, after this week, your defense was really exposed for its depth pieces. And not only are you without Stefan Tuitt, but you're now also, for the year, we, there, it's, it's, we don't know when Stefan Tuitt is coming back, but we know he's going to come back at some point. Tyson Alawalu is done. So you are permanently... Uh, going at the season with your arm behind at least one hand tied behind your back without Tyson Alualu. Temporarily, you have two hands tied behind your back because Stefan Tuitt is also out. The death pieces, because I think Isaiah Bugs is still hurt. Right? Carlos Davis was hurt uh, in the Raiders game. Bugs was uh, up in that Davis, game. Davis got hurt. So you're left with Bugs, Wormley. And Davis was a contributor against the Bills. He was. You're left with Bugs. Uh, Wormley and, and Loudermilk. And Loudermilk. Who played rookie. some snaps. He did get game. some snaps. I don't know if he got any like legitimate solo tackles, but he got some NFL action in there. But Isaiah Loudermilk is a project. It's someone who we're saying, oh, he was he was a late round draft pick. Let's see how he does. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not ex- I'm not gonna be rushing him out there, but let's just see what he can do in garbage time or in special teams. Now you're forced to say, well how do we work in Loudermilk here? Because we we're without Stefan Tua and without Tyson Alualu. We cannot just let Cam Hayward and, and Chris Wormley go out there by themselves for 100% of the defensive plays. Robert Spillane did the Robert Spillane thing, too, where he made some amazingly bone-crushing yeah. hits and makes you go, wow, that guy's a ball player. But you can't have Robert Spillane play significant Mm-mm. snaps for game after game after game. So if Devin Bush is still down next week and then the week following that, which I don't expect him to be, but that's just playing with fire if you're the Steelers. Uh, anytime you have Spillane in that, you know, linebacking core, you're you're absolutely asking the other team to please go this way. And you know, the Raiders, Derek Carr is like we said, a really good quarterback, underrated, able to pick apart a part of defense uh, if given the time to do so. You know, they didn't really know Spillane was probably going to be the guy until real late into the week. So they really didn't have that game plan of, all right, 41, he's your guy. You know, that's the guy that you want to pick on all game long. But that's going to be the case next week if Bush is out. Burrow's going to key in on 41 as a mismatch for his tight ends over the middle. Why did Tyler Boyd over the middle? That's going to be a mismatch for him. So you really are exposing yourself out there if Devin Bush isn't able to get healthy quick and play ASAP. Uh, You hate to see Bush being a guy that gets injured because, again, missed a lot of last year due to the season-ending injury, and now in week two he's down again because of an injury. It's a very young career for this guy. He's still trying to get his footing in the NFL, and you just don't want him to be flirting with that injury-prone label that he he no doubt is right now. He absolutely is. Tom, it's just... It's incredibly frustrating. Are you okay? I mean, mean, it's incredibly frustrating. We could not have been more on cloud nine a week ago and be in the exact opposite of a position that we are in now. NFL, baby. That's right. It, it just I did not expect it to be this early in the season and that big of a blow. To get rid of one guy, or to lose one guy, that's fine. To get to lose two, we saw that last year with Devin Bush and Bud Dupree. 
to lose four in one week, that's just not fair. And it's not fair to expect the defense to be as elite right. without four of those guys, especially their number one guy mm-hmm. in TJ Watt being sideline. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Thanks, as always, for listening. Us break down that devastating Steelers loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, dropping them to 1-1 one and one on the young 2021 season. Check out all of our work at Steelers.com or it's on Apple or Spotify. You can download and subscribe to the Steelers Standard there. For Jacob Recht, I am Tom Offerman. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you on our next edition of the Steelers Standard.